0: CEO of Agriculture for Life. In this edition of Nursing Minds, we speak with Alistair Hadley, the founder and board member of Radical. We're talking carbon and net zero agriculture. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is a conversation I've been looking forward to um, with regards to carbon and the talk of carbon and carbon sequestration. And, and we're really hearing a lot about this. Um, so I, I'd love to, um, to start at the very beginning and let's just learn a little bit about Radical as the organization and what you do um, with, within the agriculture industry.
1: Yeah, well, thanks. thanks for having me. It's, it's a pleasure to be here, and, uh, and I, I always enjoy talking about carbon because it's really important, but it's largely misunderstood, and we've seen significant politi- politicization of the word, you know, with carbon price and carbon this and carbon that. So, so I am very happy to be here to try and shed some light on this or maybe clear the air a little bit. And, uh, but but Radical has been working in Alberta since 2008. And within the agricultural sector, we've been working behalf, on behalf of farmers in the province uh, since that time to generate and sell uh, carbon credits that they've created through the implementation of climate smart agricultural practices Uh, and we would call it conservation cropping under Alberta's conservation cropping protocol. And we've generated uh, five and a half million credits on behalf of about 3,200 producers in the province. And today we're doing, we're working on similar efforts to bring Credit development to farmers in Saskatchewan and Manitoba through emerging voluntary carbon markets and we're doing this as well in the United States and we're looking at uh, how we do this in Brazil as well with farmers in Brazil that want to implement regenerative agricultural practices and and really what we do for producers in Alberta today is we generate new revenue streams for them and it's uh, it's kind of nice to give out to give out checks as opposed to give out a bill.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, well, everybody's ears, but farmers would be go, oh, checks. Yeah, we like checks. <laughs> sure, we <all> like checks. <laughs> exactly. Like. So, so let's dive right in. So, I, I'm just going to come at this from I know nothing. So, so what is carbon?
1: Well, I mean, there's there's carbon in the pure mon- molecular sense, but really, when we talk about it in today's world, where we hear about Corporations committing to net zero and governments committing to net zero, and this drive to reduce down greenhouse gas emissions, all of that gets bundled into this word carbon. And really, what we're talking about, or what different groups are talking about, is a pathway to decarbonize. um, I'm going to say, decarbonize our economy, but I don't particularly care for that word because I think we can have a a high carbon economy, but we don't have an economy that's putting out a lot of carbon emissions, right? There's a lot of products that we can make um, with with carbon, but we also have a lot of greenhouse gas emissions associated with heating our homes, fueling our tractors, uh, producing fertilizer and when we put fertilizer on the ground. So really it's about, thinking about how we can reduce greenhouse gas emissions. While, from my perspective, reduce greenhouse gas emissions while we're maintaining profitability, right? In organizations and still having an active economy so we can take care of both, not both, three things, people, planet and prosperity, Mm -hmm. right? Because they're all important for everybody. And it's a question of how do we do this? And what's happening globally is we're seeing carbon markets, the ability to create these carbon credits and trade them as being one mechanism to spur behavioral change and encourage emission reductions. And the other side of that coin is a carbon tax levied by a government where people are paying a tax based upon the carbon, right? The carbon dioxide equivalent, as we say, associated with the fuel they're consuming or the electricity that they're consuming. But these whole pricing mechanisms are designed to drive CO2 emissions, nitrous oxide emissions, methane emissions and other GHG emissions down. That's um, not going to tank the economy, it isn't gonna kill a lot of jobs, right? And it takes time and it is, it's tough at times. It's really tough for some people to make the adjustment and for others, folks, it's been a real opportunity to switch up their business and generate a new revenue stream, right? And, and that's what radicals done.
0: Yeah, and it's really interesting because, you know, we we were chatting prior and I was, you know, mentioning that the carbon and carbon sequestration and really the conversation sort of at mainstream around carbon, you know, the last couple of years, it's really amplified, um, mm-hmm. but I found it fascinating. I mean, you guys started as an organization in 2008. Um, right. and you'd note it back to, you know, this has been happening, you know, since the early 2000s. Um, we're-
1: it's been happening long before that. Yeah. Right. Okay. Car- carbon markets started sort of back in the 90s, when they first kind of came to light. Um, they were very, very small initially, but Alberta specifically um, took a leadership role in both North and South America Uh, by being the first jurisdiction to create a compliance carbon market. In other words, to create uh, a market where there is a price put on greenhouse gas emissions. And within the framework that the government of Alberta developed, large emitters, we would call them a large final emitter, um, were given the task of reducing greenhouse gas emissions within the province. Uh, the idea being that they would focus on lowering emissions from their facilities. But if they couldn't meet their targets, they functionally, they had a choice. They could pay a, a, a levy to the government for each ton of carbon dioxide equivalent that they couldn't produce, or they could buy a carbon credit effectively paying somebody else to, Alberta to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in the province. And they would be able to buy this carbon credit. And instead of giving the government cash as a a levy, they would retire this credit. And so functionally what happens is every dollar generated by the creation of a carbon credit from an activity taking place in the province, took money that would have otherwise gone to the government and put it in the hands of the people in Alberta. Very interesting way to, to run this. And what we've actually seen in Alberta since the market began in 2007, there's been about 68 million carbon credits developed. And when they first came on the market in 2007, they were selling for nine or $10 a ton. Uh, Today, the prices are significantly higher as as we start to see the carbon price escalate under the federal government's program. So we could say that uh, those 68 million tons have probably put about 1.2 billion dollars into the pockets of companies and individuals in Alberta that have made efforts to reduce made efforts to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Wow! And as we see the Liberal government, the federal government, start to increase the the penalty or the levy on carbon up to 170 dollars a ton ton by 2030. We see the value of these carbon credits increasing quite rapidly uh, over the next two or three or four years. And so there's going to be an opportunity for organizations that can reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And, it, and there's rules around how you create these credits. But if you can create these credits within the, the construct of the market and bring them to market, it, it, it can really help. Right? It can put, there's a lot of cash that can go in people's back pockets through these carbon markets and it's driving innovative change.
0: Wow. So that's interesting. Um, so then as you're, as you're chatting and I'm trying to think of this as, okay, I, I, I don't know anything about this. So what would come into mind is of course, how do you measure the, you know, how do you measure the, the, the carbon? Sure. That's probably a big question.
1: It's a massive question yeah. and it's, it's, a real challenge for the agricultural sector. So let me let me paint a bit of a picture too that I think that your your listeners might appreciate or viewers, I guess, since they're on Zoom. Carbon markets have been around for a long time. And they're functionally, there's two types of carbon markets. There's compliance markets that are created by a national or subnational government. So Alberta has a compliance market. And now in Canada, we have a federal market as well. There are about 60 plus national carbon markets or markets around the world from national and subnational governments, California, Europe, Kazakhstan, South Korea, Japan, Australia, right? These are examples of these, these, these countries that have these programs in place. And in 2020, those markets were worth about $277 billion US, depending on which report you read, right? because it's not crystal clear. There's a second type of market, which is called a voluntary market. And this is a market where, again, people will voluntarily reduce greenhouse gas emissions and they'll create these credits to sell to companies who wanna reduce their carbon footprint. Microsoft is a good example. Microsoft had an RFP come out last year They wanted to buy a million carbon credits from the voluntary space from nature-based solutions right from projects that were quantifying the removal of co2 out of the atmosphere into biomass or into the soil and the really interesting thing to get back to your question is well how do you measure this and this has always been a challenge in these biological systems there's functionally there's two ways to measure. There's direct measurement, um, but there's also modeling and in Alberta for the the conservation cropping protocol in Alberta, which was the protocol used to generate credits out of the agricultural sector here, it used a model system. So there's a bunch of really smart scientists and people who got together to create the protocol which is really a recipe that describes how you can quantify these emission reductions. And they created a system that would allow producers to participate in the market. And while the the amount of money producers were able to earn on a per acre basis wasn't particularly large, in an aggregate, it started to add up and it started to inform producers participating in the program that these markets exist and it actually kick-started the Alberta carbon market back in 2007 when it began. What we see happening, interestingly enough now, and, and we hear a lot out of the United States, or at least I do, I'm, I'm not sure what's what's uh, resonating with farmers in, in Canada, but there's a lot of interest in the United States around carbon farming, right? And creating a system for producers to be able to participate in carbon programs in the US and a significant amount of money being invested by large agricultural corporations like Bayer, Corteva, Land of Lakes, Cargill, Indigo Ag comes to mind. I mean, Indigo Ag was probably the organization that, that made some of the boldest claims with respect to what they're going to be able to do for producers. And and now in the United States, you've got the Biden administration talking about creating a carbon bank, a multi-billion dollar carbon bank, to be able to funnel revenues or or cash to farmers that are implementing, again, I'll call them a climate-smart agricultural practice that's going to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And how we measure it, how we model it, how we prove that it's occurred, that's, that's the the multi-billion dollar question.
0: Hmm. That's where the really smart people are working on. <laughs>
1: That's right. That's yeah. right. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it it's fascinating because I'm taking notes because it's fascinating and I think this conversation will be really quite interesting to a lot of people because there's so many different ways different sort of spokes of conversations we could go down um because it starts to think about okay now you're talking about the US and I mean, Canada agriculture, you know, Alberta agriculture, we're competitive, you know, we're in a, a global market. Um, we're starting to hear more, and consumers are looking more interested in environmental practices, uh, yeah. climate start, smart practices around agriculture production. And so I'm thinking at some point, and, and it's probably already is, and, and you've got a bigger picture on this from a global perspective but it's probably going to be a competitive space, right? It's gonna be a competitive advantage um, as consumers start to look for this type of production practice. I'm making that assumption, you would know better than I.
1: I think the answer is is yes or it's going to be yes. Mm -hmm. And Unilever announced that they wanted to start to put carbon labels on, I think it was 70,000 food products. Mm Um, but they wanted to start quantifying what the greenhouse gas emissions were associated with say producing a can of beans and then label it on that can of beans. What's ha- happening at a corporate level internationally is corporations have recognized that they need to, to be stewards of the planet, mm-hmm. right? And they, they're taking action where they can to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in their value chain. So that's upstream and downstream from from where they're at. And we see companies like Mars, which dedicated a massive amount of money and measured in the billions of dollars, billion dollars plus to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in their supply chain. Uh, Back, boy, 2016, 2017, maybe a little bit after that, Walmart talked about a, a gigaton project. How could they reduce a billion tons of carbon dioxide equivalent out of their supply chain? And what could they do with respect to things around packaging and such? Um, Denon, right, the big the big uh, dairy company, they have, if I recall, it was about 100,000 farms that they were dealing with directly for milk production. But they were looking at how do we measure or estimate what the greenhouse gas emissions are associated with the production of our yogurt? And how do we incent changes in our supply chain to reduce those greenhouse gas emissions? And what we think is gonna happen is, as we continue down this path, is that what we call the carbon intensity of products is going to become more important uh, for Consumers at a point in time, and and by consumers I don't necessarily mean individuals, but corporations that are that are buying the inputs to go into their products. Yeah, and we're actually seeing this in the oil and gas sector right now, where we're, Europe is talking about wanting to know what the carbon intensity is of natural gas coming into the country. Right, so so we're getting into this issue of really trying to account for. Or for companies to account for what their emissions are associated with the products that they produce and the services that they deliver. And all of this driving towards this concept that a lot of people have probably heard this concept of net zero. Yes. So the Liberal government in Canada has said they're gonna be net zero by 2050. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? It means that effectively in 2050, we, we're gonna be pulling greenhouse gases out of the atmosphere. In other words, we're gonna have a negative carbon footprint and we're gonna be pulling more carbon out of the atmosphere than, we, than, we, than we're putting in. And I'm oversimplifying, right? But that's effectively what it means. And in order to pull carbon out of the atmosphere, we either need things like direct air capture, so big engineering projects to capture carbon right out of the air. Uh, we need... Um, Another one is is, uh, biological sources of energy with carbon capture and storage where we store the carbon underground. And then the other piece of this is nature-based solutions. So how do we put more carbon into trees, more carbon into the soil, more carbon into wetlands? And that's an area that is of immense interest today internationally about how do we go about doing this. And the agricultural sector has a really important role to play, but we've got a lot of work to do to figure out how to position this so that farmers can participate in this at scale, right? And, and how it's not gonna be just another cost that falls to the farmer, but how do we create a framework that allows this to be an opportunity for the producer? And this is where we need governments, quite frankly, to take a leadership role and to create these mechanisms so that producers can actually participate in the markets. And it's interesting, so Alberta in 2007, when they created the Alberta carbon market, they were very purposeful about providing farmers in Alberta with an opportunity to create these carbon credits. And there's been roughly 15 million, perhaps 16, 17 million carbon credits that have come from the agricultural sector in Alberta. But the opportunity to participate in the market in Alberta ends this year, mm-hmm. right? So at the end, the 2021 cropping season is the last opportunity for, for annual crop green producers to participate in the market. And the government of Alberta has been saying this for a long time. It's not really a surprise, but what's really unfortunate is they haven't been looking at what can we do beyond what we've done today what can we do to to in, continue to encourage uh growers in alberta to participate in the program the federal government of canada is currently working on a soil enrichment or soil enhancement protocol which may or may not be completed in a couple of years that may offer an opportunity for for producers in the province to uh, to participate um but for those that have, have participated over the last uh, well, more than a decade now, I think it's been a pretty, um, a pretty, lucrative, pretty lucrative source of cash, right? in terms of, of what they've achieved. Um, so we wanna see more of it, right? We, we, we like to see how it drives change.
0: So is that gonna leave a gap then? So this program is ending in Alberta, we're sort of waiting to see what the feds are doing. Is there gonna be a gap that we might get behind a little bit in, in, in the larger scale of things?
1: I think there's a potential. I mean, I think when we look to the US and and Joe Biden's uh, carbon bank plan, right? Where he's gonna start to support farmers, the intent. I mean, I'm not saying it's a done deal, but there's an announcement, an intent that's been been, uh, vocalized to reward farmers who implement practices that, that reduce greenhouse gas emissions, right? Through carbon. So while our farmers, their program is disappearing, you know, south of the border, they're all starting to appear. So there may be an issue around competitiveness. Mm -hmm. I don't know, I'm not an economist, but that could be something. But the other element of this, which I think is perhaps not fully um, understood is that in Canada, all of our producers, all of us are starting to see an increase in the carbon tax levied by the federal government. Mm-hmm. And I've been told that for a grain producer, at a carbon tax of one hundred and seventy-five dollars, one hundred and seventy dollars a ton in twenty thirty, that that will add up to thirteen dollars break in cost to a grain producer. Now, if that number is right, it's significant. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. If we were selling carbon credits at, uh, oh, I can't do math in my head on a webinar, um, but if we were selling carbon credits at, say, $150 or $140 a ton in 2030, yeah. based on the protocol today, that would be 8 to $9 an acre, I think.
0: Yeah, so we
1: would... On that so no,
0: so less there but but absolutely that's significant when it comes to you know an industry where we know a lot of farmers i mean they they don't make they don't make a lot of money on the dollar anyway so now you're going to add to the costs um you know what's yeah. the incentive what's the advantage i mean there's there's the the social advantage of course and and farmers are stewards of the land and they understand Uh, you know, good quality soil and environment. And and that's been since the beginning of time. But they're also running a business. And if we're going to ask them to absorb more costs, and we're not going to see it at the end, or is the end user going to pay? Is the consumer going to be willing to pay for more? Those are the questions.
1: Those are the big questions. And so what we think is likely going to happen in Canada in the near term in the next year to two years, uh, as the what we're seeing in in saskatchewan and manitoba we're seeing organizations wanting to step up to generate credits to sell into voluntary carbon markets because the voluntary carbon uh, market is the demand has increased significantly over the last 24 months so so people are now looking to buy these credits out of the voluntary market and after the compliance market for grain growers is done in Alberta, we may see people, you know, switching to a voluntary market here as well. But let's not forget about uh, protein producers, right? So the, there's been some credits generated um, at feedlots to do, and it has to do with uh, reducing the enteric emissions of cattle through, through rations and how, they're, how they're, the food that they're consuming but we haven't seen, at a compliant in a compliance market, the ability for um, people that hold or own native grasslands to generate carbon credits from the avoided conversion of those grasslands. Now we're actually working on a project, the first project in Canada to generate credits from avoided grassland conversion, and we're working with a number of partners on this. But for for for, for landowners to participate in this they need to put a conservation easement on the property so these uh, and we do that because the, we're we need to keep this carbon in the soil for a long time but for i'm going to say landowners that love the land that want to keep the land you know for generations putting that conservation easement on ta- in place and then being able to participate in the carbon market Together it might make sense. And it's a huge opportunity in Canada yeah. because we're losing our grassland, right? For all sorts of different reasons.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
1: and then we get into the, the other really interesting thing when we talk about carbon and we talk about agriculture is the, 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 the nexus that's starting to come between the energy sector and the agricultural sector. Because now we're getting into things like biofuels and renewable natural gas. So if you've got a hog barn or a dairy operation and you're able to take that manure and uh, put it into a biodigester and capture the methane off of it, you can generate renewable electricity off of that or you can put it into the pipe, you could sell it as renewable natural gas. And these aren't necessarily based upon the carbon market but they're based upon this emerging market for green fuels. And now we're looking at, uh, in Canada, we have this new emerging market, the clean fuel standard. Uh, the clean fuel standard is gonna require a percentage of the fuel that's uh, sold in Canada to come from renewable sources, so biofuels. So again, it becomes this issue of what can we do or what, what can producers do to participate in that market? And how do we balance the needs for food production, right? Against fuel, yeah. right? And so this issue of between energy and agriculture from Alberta, I think they're getting, becoming closer together is, is an opportunity. That, that's why I would put it. I'm not saying it's a specific opportunity, but we start to see the nexus of those two as people start to consume more biofuels. Mm-hmm. Um, in the United yeah. States, right? There's a low carbon fuel standard in California. It's been around for a long time. And again, there are people growing corn specifically for that, uh, for ethanol, for that low carbon fuel market. So, it, it, lots of different directions or pressure points that are coming to to bear on the agricultural sector, and lots of opportunities, I think, at the same time.
0: Yeah, I mean, if any province can do energy ag, it's got to be Alberta.
1: <laughs> I mean, you, you would think so.
0: Hey, right? like. I mean, put our hand up. We're, we're, we're set for that. Um, and it's it's just, it's really, like I say, it's so interesting because this is, you know, the the young and bright minds and and where we're going and and all this opportunity. Um, so from a voluntary perspective, then, is that so as a producer, they would reach out to a company such as Radical um, to, to help them with. With you know trying to understand all of this, is that I mean again from a sim- simple perspective, is that how it works? That's how you would get involved.
1: Yeah, at a simple perspective, but there, there's look, we're not the only game in town. No. Um, there are there are other folks that are doing this, and but and I, I don't want to get to put to put false hope into people's heads, right? We need to be really, we need to be real about this. And there are, there is these voluntary markets, they are emerging. In Canada, from the agricultural place, it's still, it's still nascent. I think that if someone's interested in participating in the voluntary markets, you know, we, we'd be interested in having a conversation with them. Um, but I'm not gonna make any promises right now with respect to what we're gonna do. Our, we, we do have a plan in place to, to develop voluntary credits. Um, where we're working with another organization right now to bring them forward. Uh, and we wanna do it right, right? We wanna do this in a manner, right, for grain growers so that we can say with confidence that not only can we create your credits, but we can sell your credits. Right. Because that's the other piece, right? We've not, there's no point in creating the credits if, if we can't sell Yeah. Right. And and so it's a balancing act. And I think what people need to understand is, despite what you might hear in the United States with respect to promises, the people paying, you know, or carbon credits being thirty dollars an acre or forty dollars an acre, I think that's just a lot of overpromise and underdeliver. What we're seeing there. And 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 it's complicated, right? So so we need to we need to step into this with a cool head and realistic expectations. It's not money for nothing, right? It's money for putting carbon into the ground or lowering your N2O emissions, right? Changing the way you apply fertilizer, reducing methane emissions, you know, from manure management techniques or capturing that. Um, If you're a big operation, right? And you're consuming a lot of power, right? From protein protein production, it could be putting solar this solar on your farm, right, and reducing GHG emissions that way. Um, Lots of different ways of looking at it, right, but it is about making real reductions, and that's the critical thing.
0: And And the the,
1: hard thing, oh
0: sorry. sorry. No, I was going to say, I know just before that, but I know the the federal government has recently made some announcements on some of their climate smart, I won't get it right, but climate smart sort of grants for producers to try to pilot or different you know, groups to pilot some some um, different opportunities across Canada. So maybe that will help to to line itself up into some of the work that you guys are doing as well. So,
1: yeah, I can, and I think it's it's this sort of these sorts of activities are going around on global, right? When we look at the what's going around the world, whether it's in the states, Brazil, Australia, you know, parts of Africa, lots of people are trying to figure out how to to make food production more climate-friendly, right? And I think one of the things that, that is a challenge at a global level, right, is when we look at smallholder farms, particularly in, in developing countries, um, man, can we really go in and say to them, you need to change this practice and you need to do this. Trust me, it's gonna work right? But not back that up with some kind of insurance mechanism so that they can actually be confident that if they try a new practice and it doesn't work, they're still going to be able to feed their family, right? I think there's an element, you know, there's an element of thought that thinks farmers just need to do this and they should do it because it's the right thing to do. And I don't think people, some people anyway, stop to think about the fact that Farming is a business, you know, and if you look at like a place like Canada, farmers got, depending on when they, were, you know, start, when they retire, 40 to 45 chances in a lifetime to earn all the money they're going to earn in a lifetime. Is it really fair for us to come in and say, you know, you used to put this much fertilizer on the land. You're going to be way better off if you put way less fertilizer on the land. Trust me. No, it's, it's, it's not going to work. So I, I think when we think about expanding out this internationally, I think someone way smarter than me can put together a program where they can start to put insurance in place so that we can ensure that a farmer implementing a new practice to reduce greenhouse gas emissions can do so in confidence that if it goes wrong, they're not gonna be left holding the bag. And I think someone way smarter than me can figure out how to do that. Yeah,
0: that's brilliant. Well, that's a, that's a good place for us to end because, as I say, this could go on for days because it's, it's so interesting. And there's so many connection points and thoughts and ideas. But having an, uh, just an opportunity to steal a little bit of your time to understand, as I say, we're hearing more and more about carbon, carbon sequestration and what that means for agriculture. So we really appreciate you taking the time to, you know, kind of high level it for us to to give us a snapshot in, into what, to the, what does it mean? What are the challenges? What are the opportunities? And um, I think it's really important, as you say, there's there's a lot of really smart people that are that are working on solutions. Um, but it, all of this takes time.
1: It takes time, right? And take, it takes commitment. And uh, we're, we're not going to solve the problem overnight. And it also takes a willingness for people to participate in the program. And I think what what we need to think about, or maybe what we need to learn more about is the fact that this isn't just happening here in Canada. Yeah. You know, Canada is not the only country with a carbon tax. There's lots of other countries with a carbon tax that are much higher than ours, right? Um, we don't need to, we don't need to like it, <laughs> right? I have yet to meet a tax that I really like, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, like wow. most people, but it, with this tax, there's also there's also some opportunities coming down the path. And I think people that, that make changes and can maybe participate in these markets or come up with new technologies to, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, there's gonna be some winners that come out of it. And so I, I, I very much appreciate the opportunity to speak. I really hope that I was somewhat coherent because I never know.
0: It's <laughs> <And, laughs> <laughs>
1: And you know, happy to uh, happy to answer more questions. Is uh, you know, and, or maybe do this again, and, and we can respond to specific questions. But I appreciate your time as well.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll hold you to that because I'm sure that people are going to have questions, and um, so we'll we'll make sure that we keep you on speed dial. So, uh, okay. thank you again for for joining us uh, and and walking us through that.
1: Yeah, you're very welcome. Have a great day.